Our scripture comes to us from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only 9 (laughs) a.m. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, I really appreciate the red that you wore, the red and black. I don't know if that was on purpose or for Pentecost. Or, um, I'm coming to you this morning after the 2022 annual conference of the North Georgia United Methodist Church. Uh, Charles and I attended along with our with delegates from this congregation, Paul Watkins, Freeman Elliott, and Lee Berry was there. And I'm so grateful for the three of you, Lee, for Paul Freeman, and for you for giving up so much of your time to be a part of the conferencing that took place through the voting and the worship and the relationship building, all occurring, of course, in that holy city of Athens, Georgia. We actually began conference on Thursday morning with a special video message from Kirby Smart welcoming us to that magnificent place. The last time North Georgia met in full was June 2019. And I forgot how good it was to be with that many people. I realized quickly how life-giving it was to be back face-to-face in relationship with one another. It was truly fun to see so many friends, colleagues, mentors, other church members I hadn't seen in so long. It was also an honor to celebrate Charles and his years of ministry, along with the other retirees this year. I hope, by the way, that you will celebrate him. I hope that you will congratulate him over the next few weeks. Ministry is not easy. (laughs) 
I asked a colleague who was retiring what he was looking forward to, and he said to me, I get to do what I want, when I want, and not feel guilty about it. I'm not sure how true that is, but he was excited about it. It was also wonderful to celebrate the ordination of new ministers. We got to celebrate Connor Bell, who's going to be a new associate pastor here in July. Connor passed his board of ordained ministry interviews, which is no easy task, and he was ordained an elder in the United Methodist Church yesterday. So I'm, I'm so proud of him, and I hope that when he gets here in July with Caroline and their one-year-old Sophia, that you will congratulate him. Ordination is no easy task, um, and he did it. For those of you who don't know, in our tradition, ordination is the act of setting apart a member from a community for the sake of spiritual leadership. In a service, a worship service of ordination, the congregation speaks the following near the beginning of the service. They say this, this person, talking about the ordination, ordinand, this person is by God's grace to be ordained for set-apart ministry in Christ's holy church. Now, I don't know if you know this, but it takes a long time <laughs> to get ordained in the United Methodist Church. It took me 10 years. It takes some people longer. My uncle likes to tell me that he got ordained online, and it only took five minutes. <laughs> but ordination takes a long time. And the day that you finally reach your ordination service, you've gone through all the hoops. The day you finally reach it, the first question you're asked in the worship service is this. You ready? They ask you, do you believe that God has called you to the life and work of ordained ministry? Do you remember that, David? Do you remember? Do you believe that God has called you? <laughs> and David, I'm laughing because the requirements <laughs> of becoming a pastor in the UMC are so vast, by the time you get there, you have to believe that you're called. <laughs> I don't know what else to believe. The whole process begins from your home church, and this is why I love this. It begins in your home church. Your church has to recommend you for ministry. I don't know if you knew that. And then you have to do mentoring with a group for at least six months to a year. Then you have to do a psyche eval and a background check and a credit check. <laughs> you have to meet with another mentor group for three years, once a month for six hours. You work on theology together, best practices, you, you preach to your colleagues, you review case studies, and you all, also you have to do three years of seminary. And you also have to write massive amounts of paperwork twice. Essentially two thesis papers on theology, your understanding of God, Wesleyan understandings, provenient grace, free will, the image of God, the difference between sin and evil. Good luck with that one. Then you have to be interviewed by four separate groups vetting you on your life, your theology, your choices, your experiences. You have to do that twice. <laughs> and after all that, after all the meetings and time and money and tears and sweat and tears, you get to go to annual conference and answer a list of John Wesley's historic questions in front of everyone. And those questions include things like, have you faith in Christ? Yes. Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? Yes. Will you visit from house to house? Yes. Are you in debt so as to embarrass you in your work? It's always funny because the group's been saying yes for so long that they go, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> um, 
they used to ask these questions individually, I believe. And, and I remember the one, one story of one minister who was up for ordination. And when they got to the money question, are you in debt so as to embarrass you in your ministry? He replied by saying, Bishop, I've been in debt for so long to so many, it has ceased to be an embarrassment to me. <laughs> so friends, after all that, after all those hoops, the bishop has the audacity to ask you, after all you've done, after all you've been through, do you believe that God has called you? <laughs> you kidding? Frederick Beekner said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I love that. Do you believe that God has called you? There are call stories all over scripture where God sees a need and God calls somebody to that need. God sees the deep gladness of a person's heart and calls them to a deep hunger in the world. This is essentially one of the messages of the book of Acts. After Jesus' ministry, after he calls his disciples and teaches them and cares for them, after he's arrested and tortured and killed and raised from the dead, He's about to ascend to God, and he tells his disciples this. He says, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to the whole world. So they wait in the room together. And that's when it happens. On the festival of Pentecost, or Shavuot in the Hebrew, the festival of the harvest. Also a festival that would come to commemorate the anniversary of the revelation of the law to Moses. <laughs> and it's on this day that the Spirit chooses to come. They're all gathered in one place. And a sudden sound of violent wind comes rushing in and fills the whole house. And Luke, remember... Luke, the author of the book of Acts, this is his second volume. Luke says that everybody in the room sees a fire. And the fire separates and comes to rest on each of them. All of them are filled with spirit and they exit the building. Now we're not told how long this event takes. The sound begins suddenly, but I don't know if it lasts for five seconds or five hours or five minutes. Same with the fire. I have no idea how long this takes. But I like to think that the wind sounded and the fire appeared and it, and it took a minute. They sat there in awe for at least a minute. I like to think that the disciples right there in the room where it happened had to take a minute. I like to imagine that in the process of that incredible and inspiring experience, they're thinking about so many different things. So many things come to mind. They're, they're thinking about the future but I bet they're also remembering everything that got them to this moment, everything that got them there. When I was in high school, I wasn't a good writer. I was in high school. <laughs> but my grandmother was an English teacher, and through long nights and longer weekends, she took it upon herself to teach me how to write. <laughs> when I graduated from seminary years later, I remember thinking not about the, the last few papers I wrote or framing my diploma or the future. Rather, I thought about how I'd never have gotten here if my grandmother had not sat down one night and started proofing my papers with me. I wonder if in the midst of this milestone moment, 
if the disciples aren't reflecting back on the many things that got them here. I wonder if these disciples that are in the midst of being empowered remember back to a moment when they were first empowered. I wonder if in this high and holy moment they can't help but think about a time when some strange itinerant teacher showed up on the rocky seashores of Galilee, called them by name, and told them that if they would simply drop their nets and follow, they might learn a thing or two. I'm sure they remembered that. It's hard not to reflect on the past when you're looking into the future. And what happens next? Well, they go out into the streets sharing the salvation of the world in different tongues, different languages. God is seeing the hunger of the world for salvation, for abundant life, for grace, and has found a way to meet the need. God calls these disciples out into the world, and the world has never been the same. (laughs) And I want to point out, by the way, that all of this occurs with absolutely zero systematic methods of ordination. (laughs) None of these disciples had to do a psyche vow or a credit check. They haven't done massive amounts of paperwork. They haven't had to stand up in front of their synagogue to answer the historic questions. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure that if somebody had asked them that day, do you believe you're called by God? (laughs) You kidding? (laughs) The Holy Spirit called them. And they went, and it's that simple. They heard the call, and they responded. Oh, and by the way, I love that it all happened, Scripture says, when they were gathered together in one place. How important to the Spirit of God that we gather together. How important it is to the life of the church that we meet together and declare and remember that we have been called by In my senior year at UGA, I I went reluctantly to a Wesley Foundation meeting. It was a worship service. I went to one of the prayer rooms. I was struggling with what to do after school, after graduation, and I needed God's advice. (laughs) I've been trying to discern the direction on my own, but I realized I needed some help. Funny how God is sometimes the last stop. I sat down with some folks who prayed over me, and that night God called me by name and called me into this thing, ordained United Methodist ministry, and God did it with this little tiny verse from 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. David, I was talking to my dad last night. He's a pastor. He said, that's the same thing that called me when I was 22. I had no idea. (laughs) Be careful with that scripture, everybody. (laughs) But that night, God called me, and a number of years later, actually last year, I stood in front of the bishop, just like so many before and after me, and I declared that, yes, indeed, I believe that God has called me. And I saw it yesterday. As so many of my friends declared in front of a room and in front of everybody, yes, I believe that God has called me. And I believe that God has called you. I believe that you are chosen, that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's very own. And I believe that you have become this people so that you can speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness 
into his amazing light. I believe that you have been called, each of you, by name to follow. I believe that God is leading each of you to a greater understanding of God and a closer resemblance to Jesus. I believe that God called you before you even knew it. (laughs) That's when he started calling you. And I believe that God is still calling you to service, to goodness, to witness, to grace, and to ministry. It doesn't have to be ordained ministry, but it's ministry. God has called you and is still calling you by name to drop your nets and follow him. God is still calling you to identify that deep joy within your heart. And I believe that God will lead you if you ask, and sometimes if you don't ask, (laughs) to use that deep joy to affect the world's deep hunger. So friends, let me ask you this this morning. Do you believe that you have been called by God? Do you believe that God has placed you here for a purpose now? Do you believe that this church was God's idea? Do you believe that God is done with Noonan, F-U-M-C, or do you think God's still got a little left up his sleeve? Do you believe that God can use your deep joy to affect the deep hunger of the world? Do you believe that you have been called by God? Do you believe that? We talk a lot about belief in Jesus, belief in God, belief in orthodoxy, but do you believe that you have been called by God? I wouldn't be here if I didn't. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that God was at work long before we were here and that God would still be at work long after we left. I believe that you have been called. And I believe that Jesus is still calling you now. I believe that that same Holy Spirit that anointed the disciples, that same Spirit that whooshed in like a violent wind, that same Spirit that pushed a group of nobodies into the streets to flood the earth with a movement of grace and truth and forgiveness and mercy, that same Spirit is here now. That same Spirit is in you and is in me. So I ask you, do you believe it? Do you believe that same spirit is here? Do you believe that same spirit is in you? Will Williman was the dean of the chapel at Duke University for 20 years. And one day he got a phone call from an angry, from an irate father. And his father was angry because his graduate school bound daughter had decided, in his words, to throw it all away and do mission work in Haiti for the Presbyterian Church. It's absurd, the father said. She's got a bachelor's of science degree from Duke and is going to dig ditches in Haiti, and I hold you responsible. And Will said, why me? (laughs) But he said, you ingratiated yourself and filled her with all this Jesus stuff. And Will, who is not easily intimidated, asked the father, sir, who had her baptized? Dad said, well, I did. Did you take her to Sunday school when she was a little girl? Well, yeah. Did you let her go to youth group, go on those youth mission trips in high school? He said, yes, but what does that have to do with anything? Sir, said Will, you're the reason she's throwing it all away. You introduced her to Jesus, not me. But the father said, all I I wanted was a Presbyterian. (laughs) 
And then Will said this, well, I'm sorry to tell you, you messed up. You've gone and made a disciple. The Holy Spirit has been at work. Your daughter is called by God, and if you look closely, so are you. That same Spirit is still at work. So may the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead be poured out on each one of us. May you believe that you are called and may you believe that God is still calling you to this holy and good and gracious work on earth. But be careful. You may end up making a disciple or two. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.